Well, hello, everybody. How you doing? want to welcome you. If you are watching here in our Chippewa live auditorium, or if you are watching online, or if you are watching on our Moon Campus, or on our classic venue, I want to welcome you. We're going to be continuing our More Than a Feeling teaching series. And uh, I want to encourage you to pull out your Bibles, if you would, or your tablets or your phone, whatever you have that would help you follow along in the message here today. We're going to be looking at a passage in First or Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter four, and if you would turn there, we're going to be looking at that passage just here at the beginning and uh, talking about something that has to uh, do with this teaching series more than a feeling. So Second Timothy chapter four, we're going to be at verse six. Now, whether you have your Bible, your tablet, your notes, uh, your pen, hopefully you've got that out. If you don't have that out, that's okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, "No regrets." Turn to your neighbor and say, no regrets. Whatever you have, you can use it. It doesn't matter. But let's, uh, let's dig in and let's see what God has for us here today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. This is the Apostle Paul, by the way. And he's approaching the end of his ministry. He's approaching the end of his life. He sees, he sees it kind of wrapping up. His time here on earth is about to be finished. And he writes this to Timothy. He says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I read these verses and I want you to put them in your head. I want you to think about them as we go through this message here and talk about what we're going to be looking at here today. On the onset of my freshman year of high school, I decided that I would join the cross-country team just days before the first cross-country meet. I think it's important for you to know that I had not been doing any training, any running in advance before this meet. I, 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 was, um, I was not prepared, but that did not prevent me from exploding off the start line at the beginning of that first race like I was shot straight out of a cannon. That did not prevent me from doing that. You see, I bolted off the starting line that first race, and the start of the course had this uphill switchback thing to where when I was up ahead by at least 50 yards from any other person in the race, right there at the beginning, I could see everyone beneath me, everyone behind me, and everyone literally and metaphorically in my mind beneath me, thinking, how am I so much faster than they are? Why are they not trying to keep up? It didn't take me long to regret the decision to jump out of the starting gate so quickly. By the time I got to the first half mile mark, I was second to last in the race. The only person who was behind me was a friend who I had asked to join the team with me just days before. I guarantee you, he had not been training either at all. At about the first mile mark, my regret from starting too quickly moved to regretting the decision to join the team. My friend and I eventually started walking. And at some point around the two-mile mark, I laid down on the ground. I was so tired. In a cross-country meet. 
I do remember that by the time I came out of the forest and turned the corner to see the finish line, I saw the line and I started running as hard as I could. I finished second to last, beating out the friend who had joined me on the team and enjoyed eating the banana that they handed to me right after the race. And that was the only reward that I received on that day. When it was all said and done, my greatest disappointment was that in my mid-race regret of joining the cross-country team, I practically gave up. I started walking and laying down there on the course. It was like my regret was staring me in the face and saying, what now? What now? What are you going to do now? And I'd like to talk with you about regret today and how it has this knack to stare us in the face and say, what now? And I'd like to flip the question around. Too often, regret has a grip on us, and it has our full attention. I've titled this sermon, What Now, Regret? Because I think we need to change the conversation. I think we need to change it from regret having our attention to us asking regret, regret the question, what now? Regret is something that we all experience. And at the same time, it's something that we all want to avoid. Regret is one of, if not the most negative emotions we all experience. We regret what we've done, and even more so, studies say even more, we regret what we didn't do and wish we had done. Regret is the emotion that we experience when we think that our present situation could be better or happier if we had done something different in the past. Let me say that again. Regret is the emotion that we experience when we think that our present situation could be better or happier if we had done something different in the past. And when it comes to regret, we usually go two ways. It kind of depends on the kind of person that we are. There are those who are weighed down by regret. We lay in bed thinking about the missed opportunity or the decision that we made, think the thing that we should have done. We think about it when our minds are left wandering or when we're at our lowest point. Then there are those of us who live by the creed of having no regrets. I was just a college student. No one was hurt, seriously at least. What else was I supposed to do? I was only 18. No regrets. But neither is the best option. The idea of being weighed down and being consumed by our regrets and then the other side of saying, I have no regrets. Because we know how difficult it can be to be held back by our disappointments. We know that's not a good option. And we also know that living a life of no regrets is not that helpful either. It is important, as the journalist and author Katherine Schultz says, to experience regret. It's important to experience regret. She says that the inability to experience regret is actually one of the distinguishing characteristics of sociopaths. We need to experience regret. It's important to realize when we've done something wrong. It's important to know when we've made a mistake or let ourselves down. If you have kids, you know this is important. Probably the number one thing I say to my kids is, what do you say expecting them to say, thank you? But second on the list might be, 
I'm sorry, to teach them, to help them understand what it means to regret what they have done. Regret is absolutely, because this is so significant, something that we all experience and all want to avoid, regret is absolutely more than a feeling. For many of us, regret is like a fence, a fence that keeps us from moving forward, a fence that keeps us from letting go and getting out. And so we're stuck in this cycle of the regret that we think through. And we can't undo it either. I thought about titling this sermon, Control Z, because how great would it be to be able to get rid of the regret? But life isn't as simple as an undo button. Sometimes we regret the sin in our lives. And sometimes we regret things that don't have anything to do with sin. You might regret that you stopped taking piano lessons when you did as a child and wish you would have kept stuck to it. You might, have, you might regret the tattoo that you got when you were in high school. You might regret that you took Highway 51 when you forgot that there was going to be construction that day. You should just know by now. You might regret that. And sometimes it's bigger things, like not sticking with the education that we started, or not taking your friend up on that offer to take a trip overseas, or not logging off because you had to get that last comment in on the thread so that everyone would know your opinion on social media. Regret is definitely more than a feeling. But here's the deal. What I would like us to do is to think of regret less like a fence and more like a favor. What if we viewed the regret in our lives less like a fence and more like a favor? Less like a fence that keeps you trapped with the worry, the anxiety, the shame, and the disappointments. And more like a favor from God that invites you to be free of those things. What if you viewed regret less like a fence and more like a favor? So, when we get to this, this idea, we have to ask the question, what now, regret? What are you telling me to do based on what I know about you? Well, regret might be telling me that it's time to reconsider my situation. Regret might be telling me it's time to reconsider my situation. I'm challenged by these words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. He says this in verse 22, And now... Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. It's not that Paul is experiencing regret here. But what he is doing is helpful for us in how we deal with regret. Two principles that we can follow. First, he's considering his situation, considering what is most important right now to him. And second, 
that some things are just out of his control. Some things are out of his hands. When regret is staring you in the face, staring you in the face ask yourself, what is the most important thing that I can do right now? Let's say that tomorrow you got pulled over on the way to work. You were going 75 in a 55, and you immediately regret not driving the speed limit. Why didn't I just drive 55? Is the most important thing in that moment to explain to the police officer that you just can't drive 55? Is it to make an argument that 55 is entirely too low for this stretch of the highway? Probably not. It's probably not the time to make the case for your own uniqueness or attempt to change traffic laws. The most important thing in that moment is for you to probably just take the ticket. Let your regret of not driving the speed limit do you a favor. Reconsider your situation and take the ticket. Paul looks at his challenging situation and considers the most important thing to him. His only aim is to finish and complete what God wants him to do. He's not making a case for himself or anything else, only to testify to the good news of God's grace. Can you respond to God's grace in your life and testify to what he's going to do now in your life through that difficult situation and the regrets that you experience? Ask yourself, what's the most important thing you can do right now on the heels of regret? Then ask yourself, what is out of my hands? In these verses, in Acts 20, Paul doesn't know what's going to happen. He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And the Spirit of God warns him about the prisons and the hardships that he would face. He, he knows that, th that those things are coming, and he knows that that is out of his hands. Think about all the things that you regret and consider what is out of your hands. What is now out of your hands? The biggest thing is that you don't have a time machine. So how... Will you move forward based on the fact that you know that you can't go back and change it? How will you move forward based on what you know you can control? Well, you could start those piano lessons again. You could turn the car around and take a, a route that isn't under construction. You could grab your phone and reach out to the friend that you've not communicated with for a long time. You can't control their reaction, but... Even though they've ignored you in the past, you can still text them. Maybe it's time that you let regret do you a favor and let it invite you to initiate reconciliation in that relationship. Maybe it's time to reconsider your situation. As I mentioned earlier, our regrets can come from mistakes that we made or decisions that we didn't take. But we also experience regret from the sins that we commit. Who here has committed a sin? Oh, that, okay. Everybody, good. I expected that. If you came to church today thinking that you might be the only one, all you had to do was look around the room. You would know you're with a whole group of people who have sinned. Everyone has sinned 
And everyone experiences regret. And maybe at some point, everyone hopefully will experience regret for the sins that they have committed. But what do we do with that? What regret? What now? What regret might be telling me is that it's time to repent of my sin. It's time to repent of my sin. Repentance is the act of turning from one direction and making a decision to go the other way. I was headed down this path, and now I am going the opposite way. Regret is not that. Regret is not that. Regret just looks you in the face and asks, what now? But repentance is looking regret in the face and saying, I'm going the other way. I'm turning the other direction. You might feel sorrow when you experience regret, but repentance is doing something about the sorrow that you feel. Going back to the Apostle Paul's perspective on this, we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. He says, Now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Notice what godly sorrow brings about in those who have repented. An earnestness, an eagerness, a desire to see justice done. Repentance. Repentance is not something you do less as you grow in your relationship with God. Repentance is something that you do more and more with ever-increasing speed as you grow in your walk with God. There is a benefit in consistently allowing godly regret to do us a favor and move us towards salvation. How do we repent? One is we confess our sin. Next, we turn from our sin. We, we turn the opposite way. We go the other way, and we turn toward the grace and love and mercy of God. This is the activity of salvation, but it is not the path of regret. Regret doesn't take us that way. Repentance does. And maybe it's time to repent of your sin. We see regret as a favor when it shows us that we need to reconsider our situations. We also see regret as a favor when it reminds us to repent of sin. But what else? So what now, regret? What are you trying to tell me now? Well, regret might be telling me it's time to redeem my story. To redeem my story. Think about the power regret has over our lives. It's easy to see how much regret plays a part in telling our story. It overwhelms us. And when it does, our story, our relationship with others, our relationship with God can be greatly impacted by it. So clearly there is power in allowing regret to do us a favor and experience God's redemption. That's why I'd like to add, when you think about it being time to redeem your story, I would encourage you to allow God 
to lead the way. No one can redeem better than God can. And no one can deal with regret better than God. There's a story in the book of 1 Samuel that illustrates this. The people of Israel had been calling for a king. They've, they've been desiring a king to rule over them. And God not only allows it, but then lays out what it will look like and how important it is that both the king and his people follow the Lord. Basically, obey the Lord and it will be well with you. 1 Samuel 15 begins with their new king, King Saul, and the instruction that he obey the Lord. And his call to obedience is a call to go and fight against the Amalekites. And basically, he is called to take out this, these people who are described as an evil people. And he is supposed to take them out, everything out. The, the, the prophet Samuel instructs him to do this. The problem is, he doesn't do as he is told. And he goes in and decides that there are certain things that are worth keeping for himself. He's decided that he wants to keep some things, and he's not supposed to keep anything. The Lord speaks through Samuel and, the, and, and says this in verse 11, I regret that I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So the story moves on, and Saul continues to make excuses for what he has done. He doesn't reconsider his situation. He doesn't repent of his sin. He's not regret, regretting anything. So and in our context, he's not allowing regret to do him a favor. He's not allowing regret to do him a favor. You ever seen that where you know someone has done something wrong and someone is accusing them of doing something wrong and they refuse to admit it? I see this all the time with my kids, my younger ones specifically. I know exactly what they did. And for their benefit, it would just be better to come clean, but they just refuse to acknowledge it. And I feel like that's what's going on here with Saul. Just come clean. Acknowledge. Just admit. Admit it. Regret what you've done. Admit it. Come clean. But he doesn't. At least he doesn't before it's too late. He is eventually told he would be punished and that he would no longer be king. Because he rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord rejected him as king. That gets Saul's attention, and it begins a string of I'm sorry's, but by this time it's too late. Samuel says in verse 28, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you, and he has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being, that he should change his mind. Here, Samuel makes it clear that God's promise that he will honor a king who honors him remains. He makes it clear that God wasn't lying when he laid that out. And, when he's, and he's not going to change his mind here on sticking to that promise. He's not fickle in keeping his promise to be faithful to his people. So much so that we once again read of God's regret in verse 35. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord 
regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The people of Israel wanted a king. God said, yes. Then he laid out what it should look like, and the king said no. And God regrets this. It's hard to associate regret with God. Did he make a mistake? Did he do something wrong? I don't think so. We can't put our type of regret, that feeling of making a mistake, doing something wrong, doing what we should not have done, of committing a sin and associating it with the regret of God here in this story. God's regret in this instance is associated with the sin of man and experiences sorrow that Israel, his people, and her king are not honoring his name. God is perfect at responding to regret by putting a king in place who would honor his name and be known for a man after his own heart. Known as a man after his own heart. No one handles regret more righteously than God. And no one can redeem a situation like our God can. God redeems the story. He redeems their desire to have a king. He takes their desire and he redeems their story. He not only redeems the story by putting King David on the throne, but at a much greater level, he establishes an eternal throne through David in which our Lord and Savior, King Jesus Christ, would ultimately and perfectly reign. Maybe it's time to redeem your story and let God lead the way. Maybe there's a situation that has got you trapped, but you need to allow God to change your testimony and redeem what has been wrong and make it right. It's like the words of a song we've been singing around here. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. Greater things are still to come. God's not done with you yet. So don't let the regret in your life be the author of your story. Think of your regret less like a crutch and more like a catapult. Regret should not be a crutch that you're clinging to and that's weighing you down. Rather, it should be more like a catapult that's driving you into the grace of God. Isn't this where you want to be when you get to the end? Isn't this when, where you want to be when you get to the end of your life? A reconsidered situation, a repent, repentance of sin, and a redeemed story. This is Paul's testimony in 2 Timothy 4. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We need to treat regret less like a fence and more like a favor. This will help us stick to what is most important and remember that there are things that are out of our control. Almost everything, when we consider regret, almost everything is out of our control. We can't go back and change it. All we can do is move forward and consider what's most important. And treating regret more like a favor 
will help us become more like Jesus and live like him. I did continue running cross country. I didn't completely just quit after that first race. Unfortunately, I'm not able to say that I turned out to be great. I'm not sure I ever placed very high in a race. But one thing was for sure. From the second meet on, I was the first person to cross the finish line on my team in every race that followed. I was not about to be walking during a meet. I was definitely not going to lay down. Now I say that not to brag. I would be happy to show you my times if I could find them. But the point is, in that situation for me, I responded with regret as a favor. Seeing the opportunity to make the most of the situation and not quit and not be stuck and hidden behind the fence of regret. If we could see regret like, less like a fence and more like a favor, we can watch God work in our life. Every time that we are more consumed with regret, we're not allowing God's grace to step in and change our situation, to redeem our story. We'll find the strength when we allow regret to be a favor. We'll find the strength to fight the good fight to finish the race, and to keep the faith. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I thank you that you are the God who redeems our story. We thank you that when we repent of our sin, you forgive us and you offer us new life. Lord God, we want to, we want to turn our hearts to you. We want to turn our concerns to you, our worries to you, our anxieties to you. We don't want to be held captive by regret. Lord, we want to be able to move forward and walk in your way and in your grace. We thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for this time. We ask that you would go before us and help us to walk in the way of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.